0: Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter five, and after a break over the holidays, I'm ready to get back to our study through Luke's gospel. We're in Luke five, we're gonna pick up at verse 12. And this whole section before this is where Jesus calls Peter and three other fishermen, and they have been watching Jesus do miracles, see him teach, And the crowds are forming. And at one point, Jesus, to get away from the crowds, jumps in a fishing boat, pushes off from shore, and it's whose boat? It's Simon's or Peter's boat. And uh, Peter's thinking, okay, he's not a disciple yet. He's just a fisherman. Jesus hops in Peter's boat. They push off from shore. And after Jesus is done teaching the crowds, um, Jesus says, why don't you throw your net overboard. And Peter says, look, Jesus, we know you're doing miracles, but this fishing thing, we got it. And they had fished all night and caught nothing. Jesus says, well, cast your nets over. And you know the story, they brought in such a great catch of fish. They needed two boats to pull it all in. And that's when the reality of who Jesus was really hit, Peter and three other fishermen, Peter, James, John, and um, my mind's a blank because I've been sick this week, who the, Andrew, Andrew's the fourth, Um, not mentioned in Luke four and five, but he was that fourth fisherman. And so from here, Jesus starts training the disciples. It's one thing to say, yes, all I wanna be used by God. But then you start the training process. You get to see what the work really looks like. And, you know, I know when I was young and we've all had those moments, we think, God, use my life. I want you to use my life. And it's so exciting to be in the middle of something that God is doing. But sometimes that can really surprise us. And the real work of ministry is not building churches or just building bigger churches or attracting more people. To me, the real work of ministry is changing lives. And you'll hear me say that many, many times. The real work of ministry is changing lives. And that's what we see Jesus do as Luke is accounting for us the next events after these four men began to follow after him. Pick up at verse, or Luke 5, 12. Now there's three people that we get to see in Luke 5 that Jesus changes their lives. And the first one, these are familiar stories. First, he cleanses a leper. At verse 12, Luke writes, and it happened when he was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Verse 16, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Leprosy and healing of leprosy is one of those Bible stories, but you know there's still many skin diseases today that people that would be considered leprosy. I looked it up a few days ago. Uh, In 2020, the World Health Organization, now, and never at a time are we more familiar with the World Health Organization than now. But in 2020, they counted in that year only 127,500 new cases of leprosy in the regions that they count around the world. That's just in, in 2020, One, now there's different forms of these skin diseases that would be under the broad category of leprosy. Um, One form attacks the nerves so that the person can't feel any pain. The skin disease starts to not look like anything, but it eventually goes into the nerves. The infection sets in and it leads to a degeneration of the tissues. Limbs can be deformed even fall off i've even heard stories of you know of the loss the loss of feeling then when people are sleeping off in the caves or in outside of the towns cuz they can't associate then the rats come and and eat away at those things it's gross but that's the picture of leprosy in the bible what's amazing about this whole picture of leprosy is it it's not just a condition of that day as if, well, we don't have to deal with it anymore. It's still with us. Um, Hansen's disease actually is a form of leprosy. It was the task of the priests to examine people if they had a little spot to see if it actually was leprosy or something else. You can see that in Luke 13. Isaiah uses the the disease of leprosy as a picture of sin. And all the things that leprosy does to people, it was kind of like this picture of what's happening because of sin. Leprosy begins with a little spot and spreads, just like sin. Leprosy is really deeper than what we can see. We see the surface behavior of people. But there's other, we say, oh, there's there's more to this story. There's more going on here. It can't be helped by mere surface measures. It spreads as it defiles. It isolates. Leprosy and sin isolate people. Like, we're, we're it's like, the timing of this is amazing because we are so familiar now with quarantining. And especially at the beginning of COVID, people had any signs. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm quarantining. I haven't seen my wife in two weeks. They're off in some other part of the house. We are so familiar with isolating now kids not going to school, and you realize the damage that does to people. But sin does the same thing sin isolates people, it takes them, it takes people out. Of fellowship in the church. They don't wanna be here whenever sin starts to set in and go deeper and deeper. Probably the most important similarity between leprosy and sin is that both are incurable. Did you know that? Both are incurable. Lepers were required to keep their distance. We've all heard about the leper colonies. Over in Hawaii, Molokai, I think, was the island that was set up as the leper colony. Um, They were almost even looked on as dead, their clothing to be burned. And what's amazing, and I remember learning this lesson years ago, is here we have an incurable disease, incurable. And yet in the scripture, there's instructions for what to do if somebody is cured. What does that tell us? It means that God made preparations for the impossible, for the cleansing of a leper. It's there in Leviticus 14. You know, Leviticus, that book where the pages are stuck together in your Bible, because you you're going, I can't wait to read Leviticus today. <laughs> That's what Leviticus was for. Some of these regulations. It was written to the priests, the Levites. That's why it was called Leviticus. And so it's suddenly really important. I'm not looking up symptoms of COVID until suddenly I'm going, okay, what's the symptom? I coughed a little bit. And suddenly I'm going to start researching things that I never cared about. And so you may not care about the symptoms the evaluation of a leper, you just don't want to be around them. It was the priest's job to evaluate the spot, isolate, evaluate it again after so many days. And here is this man who is considered really socially dead. Comes to Jesus and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's an amazing statement of faith. So by now in Jesus' ministry, they've heard enough. The the stories of what he's been doing has gotten out. What's amazing is not that this man comes and says this, but why there aren't more coming and asking for healing. There are at other times. Now Jesus does three things which are a testimony to who he is and his care for us in our sickness, our isolation, our quarantine. Number one, he touched him. People never touched lepers. It would automatically make them unclean. And yet Jesus wasn't worried about not associating with unclean people. Jesus touched him. And it's it's really true of people that get caught in sin and sin that tends to take over their life. They think, oh, God has forgotten about them. God doesn't care about them. But here Jesus is looking for those opportunities to touch those who are asking for help. Secondly, Jesus says, I am willing. I am willing. Now, some people would say, that what the man said, if you are willing, would be a lack of faith. Don't ever make a, that's like a negative statement. What do you think? That's not a negative statement. It's really just saying, Lord, I'm subject to your will. There are so much, there's so much strange Christian teaching that, you know, you don't come and say, if you are willing, you say, Lord, I am asking you, I'm imploring you to heal me. This man had great faith. So Jesus touched him. Jesus said, I am willing. The third thing is interesting. He just told the man to go go post it on Facebook and tell everybody. What Jesus told him to do is counterintuitive. In today's, I mean, you can't build a brand this way. Jesus, the healer. Jesus told him to go quietly, quietly show himself to the priest and make the prescribed offering in the book of Leviticus for his cleansing. What would that do? It would verify a legitimate miracle and prevent any rumor and misinformation. We are experts at misinformation in our culture, aren't we? Well, he didn't. Maybe he got cleansed. Maybe he, maybe he never actually had leprosy. Maybe it was a leprosy costume he had on, leftover from Halloween. We love strange stories. We love any reason to discredit proven facts. Our society is just going crazy today with who's got the true story on anything. Misinformation, and yet Jesus is all over this. He says, don't go broadcast this, present yourself to the priest, verify what's happened, make the prescribed offering, and that's all I'm asking you to do. And we remember from the very beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke said, what I'm writing is an accurate account of the events. Luke is only recording what's been verified. Luke is our fact checker. I love it how people say, well, that's scripture. You can't believe that. Actually, it didn't become scripture until it got fact checked until it got verified and tested by many different levels of testing. We can do that, whole, that study another time. But if it got in the book, it got fact-checked. It passed the tests for what was considered to be inspired scripture of God. And you always hear about these other books that got left out of the Bible. There's lots of them. I know there are lots of books that were written in the early centuries that didn't make the cut. You know why? They failed the tests. So there was no conspiracy to keep them out and put these adjusted theories in. We know we can trust this account. This whole thing is really not just a, Factual record of Jesus restoring lives that it's a picture to you and me. As gross as, I didn't give you even a, a, a small taste of the information of the grossness of leprosy, the decay, the rotting of flesh. There, I said I wasn't gonna do it and I did it. Um, the rats eating away ears. And and as, as gross as all of that is, remember It's a picture of sin in your life. It's a picture of sin in our life. A little spot left unchecked becomes this infection that takes over. It robs us of our senses when people start to lose the ability to feel shame over sin. They don't feel guilty anymore. That's like leprosy damaging the nerves in the body. When people have done a sin so many times, they don't feel bad for it anymore. The things people are doing in our society and bragging about them, while they are saying they have freedom, it's really like a leper completely losing any nerve sensitivity. If someone said to you, look, I can touch a hot stove and it doesn't burn me, lucky me, now you'd go, something's wrong. You should feel sensitive to sin. This is amazing, amazing. The second life is that Jesus heals a lame man. So he's cleansed the leper, does the impossible. Secondly, he's going to heal a lame man. Pick up at verse 17, Luke writes, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him, they couldn't find how they might bring him, bring him in because of the crowd. And so they went up on the house, housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. You get the picture here? It's an old story, a familiar story. There's so many people crowded into this house to see Jesus that the men can't get their friend in to Jesus And so they go up on the roof, they peel open a hole in the roof and they drop him in that way. These guys are determined. I think these are type A personalities. Verse 20, and when he saw their faith, did you know you can see faith? He saw their faith. He said to them, man, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Now, this is incidental part of the healing. We think the healing is the main part. It's really the secondary part of the story. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? The Jewish leaders are accusing Jesus of blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 22, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise up and walk? I don't know about you, but this sounds like a trick question. Because you think, hey, I know the answer to that. And once you start to think about it, you're going, maybe it's the other one. Which is easier easier for Jesus to say, or you might say, easier for him to say and get away with. Rise up and walk, or your sins are forgiven. Generally, we would say the easier thing for him to say is your sins are forgiven. Because if he says, rise up and walk, and the man isn't healed, well, we can all verify on the spot that Jesus is a fake. So it's easy just to say your sins are forgiven. But that gets him into more trouble because they accuse him of blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 25, immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on and he departed to his own house glorifying God, and they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. We have seen strange things today. It's really the job of the religious leaders to come and kind of investigate who this Jesus is. They checked out John the Baptist, now they're investigating Jesus, but what's obvious is they're not even able to do their job. The very officials who are supposed to be doing the job, and again, I think we're familiar with officials who are letting us down on their job. It's their job to verify the miracles, to see what's going on and say, yes, he does meet the scriptural claims in the Old Testament of being the Messiah, and yet it doesn't fit with their agenda So they accuse him of blasphemy. What was it that was blasphemous? Now, this is a scripture I have used many times when I talk to Jehovah's Witnesses or others in other religions who essentially deny the deity of Christ. And we've all heard people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, how about he just acted like God? I don't have to claim I'm a man. I just act like a man. I say, where's my dinner? My wife goes, you're such a man. Jesus just acts like it. How does he act like it? He says, your sins are forgiven. That's just a few words. But you see, only God can say that. Only God can say your sins are forgiven. Others could heal. I've prayed for people and seen them healed. Maybe you've prayed for people and seen them healed. I'm still a man. Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He says your sins are forgiven. Why does Jesus do this kind of stuff? You know, he knows it's going to intentionally irritate people. And I kind of like that about Jesus. He intentionally provokes people. To what? To make a decision. He really doesn't allow you and I to be passive and say, well, he was a good teacher. And maybe you've read C.S. Lewis who says, look, Any man who claims to forgive sins can't be just a good teacher. He's crazy, he's a liar, or he's God. There are only three options. You don't get the option of just saying, well, he was a good teacher because the things Jesus said make him crazy if he's just a man. And saying this this kind of thing will get him killed, will get him stoned. And yet Jesus forces the point. You know what? The purpose of the miracle is to verify his claim of deity. There is a connection here between is forgiving the man's sins because how do we know he has the authority to forgive sins? He says it, so that you know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say, rise, take up your bed and walk. He tells you why he heals the man. To verify his claim of deity. This third life we're gonna look at today and we'll wrap it up after this one Picking up at verse 27, another miracle. Now, I don't know if you think this is a miracle on par with cleansing a leper and healing a lame man, but Jesus forgives a tax collector. Crazy. Verse 27, after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, how many of you know who this man is by another name? You guys read your Bibles. Who is it? It's Matthew. Now, there was a little bit of debate. I did some research and not everybody thinks it is, but it's pretty clear, I think, that it is Matthew. Matthew, who, by the way, wrote the first gospel in the New Testament. This is his calling. A tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. He said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. And then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And the scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So here is a tax collector. And if you don't know the background, that the Jews hated the tax collectors especially a Jewish tax collector who essentially is working for Rome to to rip off his own people and whatever taxes were required of Rome, the tax collectors could add to it, to extort it out of the people and they would keep that as their profit. And so the Jews looked at somebody who has gone off and become a a tax collector for the enemy is really beyond any redemption. Have you ever looked at people and said, man, that person is beyond? You go tell them about the Lord. I, don't, I think they're, that's, they're too far. We do look at people in our society as too far. Now, there might be people in our community who have gone so far that they can't come back. And in fact, the Bible talks about those who can't believe. There are those who, who won't believe, and then there are others who can't believe because their heart has hardened so far. Sin is always progressive. But it's, you know it's dangerous for any of us to look at anybody out there and say, that person has gone too far. And I know we've all done it, I have done it. And I'm trying not to be that way. And there might be even people that you're around out in the community that might even repulse you because of their lifestyle. Maybe Albany, you don't see them, but you go on vacation to who knows where, Los Angeles, San Francisco you know, a bigger bigger city where there's all different lifestyles and it's easy to be, I I have done it. I've been right there in Hollywood. I grew up in Los Angeles. And even, you know, over the years since I've left LA, when I go back to Southern California, I go to Hollywood to go to the music stores because that's where the cool guitars are. And when you're there, you are around people that you would never see in Albany or Portland. And it's easy to be repelled by people. And I really think I want to be more like Jesus. He went right to those people that everyone else looked at as as a write off that was a tax collector joke i just i just did that <laughs> they had just looked at levi and said don't even waste your time and jesus has got these four you know working class fishermen these are run of the mill working hard working family guys And they're, Jesus, they want to be disciples. And Jesus is going around touching lepers, claiming to be God, and talking to tax collectors. And they're thinking, I don't know if we signed up for this. But the more you're around Jesus, you realize you want to be in the middle of this. I want to be in the middle of this. I don't want to be in safe church hanging out with the good people. You know, I grew up in that kind of church where we might say it was a fundamentalist kind of church and they were good people and and I came to know the Lord there. But I look back and I think I'm not even sure if those people even knew any non-believers because everybody out there in the world was, was so evil. And you don't want to talk to those people and don't want to talk to those people. Well, maybe I do. Maybe I do. I want to talk to them. And in fact, I found that the more I isolate from sinners, the less effective I become as a pastor. I forget what my job is. I don't want to hang out with you all the time. You don't need anything except for when you get sick and. Something bad happens to you, of course. In fact, we're here so we can get equipped to go out there. That's why you're here. And at some point, when you talk to people out there, they might show up here and you can't freak out, okay? We're going to be okay with them coming here. We want them to come here. So Jesus goes right to this tax collector and says, follow me. Now, you, we read these stories as if it just suddenly happened, as if Levi has never heard of Jesus. Of course, that's not the case. There has been a buildup. Levi has seen, he's heard of all these other things that are going on. Levi has had time to process what's going on and who Jesus is. And whenever the Lord says it's time to make a decision, he asks you whenever you've had enough information to make that decision. And Levi has had enough information. What's impressive is that when the opportunity came, He left everything like the fishermen left their nets and left everything and immediately followed Jesus. He was given up a lucrative business. And not only that, but he throws a feast, a party, and invites Jesus to his house. Now, who do tax collectors hang out with? Who do sinners hang out with? Other sinners. And I love that Jesus was okay to go there. And they are still enjoying whatever they're doing while Jesus is there. But it completely unnerves the Jewish leaders. And we'll talk more about this next week. But I don't wanna be, I know you guys are getting to know me as a pastor. But I'm telling you, I don't wanna be one of those religious leaders that's uncomfortable around people in the world. And in fact, often I don't even want them to know I'm a pastor, because suddenly they start acting different. I've been on planes and talking to people and halfway through the flight they go, well, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor. Oh, oh, I didn't realize. I was out golfing with, I can't remember who now, a couple of friends, I think one of my other, my other son-in-law, Joe, and we were out. And this other guy was on the, you know, on another hole and he kept trying to buy us a beer and give us cigars. And you guys drink, don't you? And you guys, whatever, I don't, I'm not against that stuff, don't freak out. but i don't i'm not you know into that stuff and we kept saying no thank you no thank you no thank you he goes what do you do for a living he just he couldn't even understand how we would say no and when i said i was a pastor he just said all stop swearing and all this stuff and i'm thinking i don't even want him to know I just want to be out there and talk to people. I'm not hiding it, but I want a real conversation with people. I want them to know me and what I'm doing, not my title. You know, that's exactly how Jesus was. He didn't go around announcing who he was. He just went and did the work that he was called to do no brand building, no announcements, he let his work speak for itself. So three people with changed lives. The scribes, the Pharisees are livid that the disciples are having a good time with Jesus when they should be somber. I've been around those Christians who think the more spiritual you are, the more sad you should be. But you know, Jesus was feasting and celebrating. There was joy. And so I was gonna try and do the rest of the chapter today, but I really wanna take my time next week. And Jesus answers with four illustrations as to why he is celebrating with them. What's his work really about? But our work is about changing lives. Why don't you guys come up? And I really think about, you know, a church has to decide who they're going to be. We don't just show up here and it accidentally happened. And at the same time we show up here and we want to see God really working. Is that right, amen? I pray that you want to see some sign of life that God is doing something. Well, the fact is we're not always sure what that sign is. How do I know if this is the Lord or something else, just a great marketing plan of the church? One sign can be more people coming. And more people came to see Jesus when the word got out of what he was doing. But to me, the primary sign that the Lord is working is lives are changed. And I mean real problem lives. People that you would say, man, I don't know what's ever going to turn them around. But remember, that was you. Some of the most difficult to people to reach for the Lord are the good people. Not the people who are messed up, who, have, who are drug addicted and whatever. But how about just the good, successful people? Do You know, they are some of the hardest people to reach because they don't think they need any help. and i just i just want to be a disciple how about you when we're going through and you know why we're going through luke's gospel is so we become disciples we get back in that mindset of watching jesus of going with him and saying yeah i want to do that i want to be like that it's just that simple